But where I get more pushback is from, well, what happens to rural? Well, we've got 50 years of data now that says, actually, we have lost more beds in rural than we do in our suburban areas. And if you look at just what's happened uh, in recent history up here in Northern Kentucky, there was a hospital in Owen County. St. Elizabeth's bought it and they closed it. So those people now don't have the emergency services. Where do they go? And I asked this very question, the CEO, and he's like, anybody could have bought that hospital. Um, but it's just an example of where they did buy it. A not-for-profit didn't come in. It wasn't that somebody else came in and snatched it up. It's they bought it and closed it. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. Thank you for tuning in today. Um, got a very exciting show for you. Representative Proctor from Northern Kentucky is joining us today. But before we dig into that, please like, comment, share, subscribe. Uh, so that way you can you can follow along, obviously, as well, too. And, and I remind you all every episode, um, if you're listening to this on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter and uh, you need to go on the go, but you want to stay up to date with what's going on. You can always listen to this in an audio format through any major podcasting platform like Spotify, Apple, iHeart, uh, Amazon, you name it. I'm there. And if I'm not there, let me know. Um, this is also on Rumble, too, if that's something you're into. But anyways, without further ado, uh, we I'm very excited to have on Representative Proctor with us today. But please make sure you like, comment, subscribe all that good stuff. And Representative, how are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking your time out to come talk to us today. Um, I know you have a lot on your plate, especially going on. Uh, is, you're, you're taking on quite the corporate interest up there in Northern Kentucky. Um, let's, uh, let's dig into that. So certificate of need, right? That's been a big I've seen a lot of action from you on that. You want to explain that to everybody? Sure. Basically, what certificate of need is, it's a permission slip from the uh, government to allow a health entity to, to uh, come into Kentucky or to expand services, add beds, things of that nature. There's about 20 of them that uh, services that are restricted in Kentucky, such as hospitals, hospice care, dialysis, MRI, PET scans. Um, ambulatory surgical centers, things of that nature that I really think that um, we would benefit by not having the restrictions on those services. You know, Northern Kentucky and, and Boone County that I represent is a rapidly growing county. We're the third most rapid growing and fourth largest in the state. So uh, because of our needs have increased so much, I believe that uh, it would benefit people to have choices in healthcare and have more availability than a single healthcare provider. So what is, um, do you know how, what, so certificate of need, right, is, is where you're asking permission uh, to operate. How does the state government, how are they going about um, ascertaining whether or not you should be allowed to operate. So I, I let's say uh, I say, hey, Northern Kentucky, big area. I think you only have what? One hospital system up there, right? St. East? Correct. Okay. You've got one hospital system up there. And I say, you know what? I think I can come in. I think I can do MRIs cheaper um, because, you know, I don't have quite the overhead. I'm going to be a, a small mom pop MRI, MRI place and I want to open up. Who do I have to get permission from? So I go to the government and, and what do they do? What happens there? 
You have to apply to the Cabinet of Health and Family Services, and you have to make an application, which is really quite expensive, and then it goes through a process to determine if it's a substantive or non-substantive review, and, and that gets really complex and into the weeds. But basically, it comes down to a single person says, yes, you, you have the need, or no, you don't. And what they're, what they're looking at is whether or not the area needs it. So how do we have a place like Northern Kentucky, where it's pretty populous, um, pretty popular area, right? Um, how is it that it has one hospital system? Is, is, is Saney's paying off the government to keep out competition? Or are they, what's going on there where they're able to stay on top of those things? And because, you know, like here in Lexington, we do have several hospital operating systems. Now we have an issue in Lexington with ambulatory services, which is also a certificate of need, uh, problem because we have, um, you know, well, I'm sure, were you in the legislature when they tried to move the ambulance uh, uh, board over underneath the hospital board? No, that was before my time, but I'm familiar with that bill. It was House Bill 777. Yeah, yeah. And they were, um, it, and it was to do with the, the hospitals were getting upset because, you know, uh, if, if you were like in a nursing home let's say, and you had a medical emergency uh, and an ambulance took you to the hospital, but you need to get an ambulance back to the, the nursing home um, because you were maybe at that level of care where you need to, to be transported in that way. Well, in order to get you back to that, that nursing home, um, they, they had to wait on an ambulance to come. Well, the ambulance is dealing with this or that. Obviously, they're prioritizing you, know, you dying on the side of the road from a car accident over giving a ride to somebody who's stable. And the hospitals were really upset that their beds weren't getting cleared out fast enough. And so they wanted uh, to, to bring in and they, they wanted to prioritize uh, you dying on the roadside at the same as a person needing transportation. And which all that could be solved if the hospitals could just have their own ambulance to transport people back. But ambulatory services fall under certificate of need. So rather than getting rid of certificate of need, they said, let's just, you know, if you're dying on the roadside, look, this lady needs a ride, right? Um, so, and, that, and that's, you know, an example here in Lexington. But how is it in Northern Kentucky, you have one hospital system. Is it extreme corruption? Are they paying people off? What's going on? Well, I can't speak to that because I don't have all the inside details of that. But my understanding with certificate of need, it basically, you have a, a quid pro quo with the government. You get paid you know, uh, into higher Medicare, Medicaid rates compared to just a straight physician so that you are able to, it's, it's a hospital's compensation for taking indigent or people who are unable to pay. So that would be uh, my guess uh, as, as to why it is. Um, you know, the government realized that there was this created back in the 70s and it was, the idea was to increase accessibility, affordability, and, and uh, to improve the quality of care. Well, even by the 80s, the federal government's like, no, nah, this isn't really working out, and they repeal it. So um, many states did repeal it. The state I came from, I'm um, originally from Texas, and where I, I worked in a in a um, not-for-profit hospital, it was a 119-bed freestanding hospital that treated catastrophic care. We were in the medical center in Houston. By you know the statutes that are there, you have to, when you are in the medical center, you have to take a certain percentage of uh, people who aren't able to pay, but we were able to specialize and this freestanding not-for-profit hospital was able to be successful for many years and was in the 
top three to five consistently every year for rehabilitation hospitals in the nation, even though we had much larger hospitals like Memorial that was next door or Ben Taub or St. Luke's or MD Anderson. So uh, why that happens here, I don't know. I, I know that the Christ tried to come across several years ago, I believe it was 2017, to buy the old drawbridge in, which was a uh, $23 million property that they were willing to uh, establish a hospital, apartments, uh, restaurants, things of that nature to really provide economic growth there. My understanding is that that goes through a court and it was really a judge determined, yeah, no, you, you guys can't come in. So I think that's part of it. Uh, it. You know, the government does reimburse at a higher rate for a hospital system like that so that they can do what they claim is their charity care and things like that. So when so that kind of gives us some idea of how they're holding on to it. But what is so so your point is, is, look, we got to get rid of this, allow more free market opportunities to come in. It'll help drive down healthcare costs while at the same time provides uh, some different options in the area, such as what we saw like during the pandemic and other things where hospitals were adopting policies like, you know, you have to take uh, the shot there or you have to take this or, or you have to be tested, you know, every two days or, or what have you. They were adopting policies and the free market of what's a good policy and what's a bad policy, you know, really wasn't able to take place because, well, frankly, when there's one hospital system, you're left with a choice. You either move your entire family or you follow the policy. So not only is it, I'm sure, a, a, a thing that's running off people out of the medical industry uh, in that area, but additionally as well, I'm sure it's it's definitely affecting the amount of uh, your healthcare costs uh, in the area too as well. Do you have any uh, knowledge about that on that side of things, how much uh, certificate of need has affected our healthcare costs total here in Kentucky? Well, certainly, if you only have one healthcare facility, why would the insurance companies need to negotiate with you? Why they wouldn't need to do a, ne a negotiated rate? So um, I've, I've spoken with uh, the CEO of St. E's and, and he concedes that 20% of the patients uh, go across the river. And for me, that's problematic in, in many ways. One, we're losing those healthcare dollars, right? They're going across to Ohio. We're also losing the payroll taxes of, of employees that would, you know, that are going across to Ohio, perhaps for better pay. There's more hospitals there in Cincinnati than there are here. So, you know, it's an economic impact on us. But I think more importantly, the economics, which is certainly, uh, it's a big deal, but is the choices for people. A lot of people, when I ran for office, my issue that I ran on as a speech pathologist was masking. I really was upset about masking our children in particular. I was concerned about what we are now seeing with language delays, learning loss, all those things that were gonna happen. Those of us in the profession could have told you that was gonna happen. But I was concerned about the vaccine mandates. I was out there with the thousands of people protesting at St. Elizabeth's saying that this, this is unconstitutional. You shouldn't have to take a, a experimental vax or take it or lose your job. So I was sympathetic to the cause before I even got into running to office. But when I knocked doors, this is a top three concern of people in Northern Kentucky. Uh, I think COVID exposed many things in our system. It exposed weaknesses in our health care, uh, exposed issues in our schools. But healthcare was really one that was gleaming. And I just heard story after story after story. And people were begging me, can, can we have choices? Can we have something in Northern Kentucky other than going across to Cincinnati? 
what I've been told is, well, you know, Cincinnati, it's 15, 20 minutes across the river. People go there to work. They go to the ball games. They go to eat. They do whatever. And perhaps that's true if you live up in Covington or if you live up right there on the border. But if you're down in Boone County and the areas that I represent, uh, till that Brent Spence, till that new bridge comes in, it's never 15 minutes across the river. It's well, also, too, and when it comes into like health insurance, going across state lines with health insurance is like, is if I understand properly, is a big deal. You, you are now out of network a lot of times because as, as I understand it, health insurance plans, uh, they're sold by state. You're not allowed to sell health insurance plans across state lines. Right. Um, and so, you know, for people that have a, a healthcare plan from an employer in Kentucky, um, that could be an additional expense in order to go to uh, healthcare facilities that are across the bridge. And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, that's, that's how I understand it. Yeah. So, it's crazy. And, and then recently, too, as well, um, if you feel comfortable talking about it, I know there's a recent story about some employment practices and how that really, it, when you're in a situation where your only employer in the area is this hospital, if that's what you do, um, you can really be put in some positions where you're choosing between your values and your job. I, I know there's a situation out there regarding a chaplain recently. Do you, can you talk about that at all? Or I can. Um, I feel comfortable speaking on it. So a chaplain uh, who... You know, she was hired at St. Elizabeth's for her theological views and her training. And those were the very things that she was going to be fired for. From my understanding of speaking with this person is that they are required to take a DEI, um, like a, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's, it's you, you take these class, right? Like a training module. Yeah, it's a training module. So once you finish a training module, like a lot of people have to take it. Okay, fine. You, you. You know, you learn what they have to say about it. But in this particular instance, she was required to take a quiz. The only way you could pass the quiz is if you affirm things that were contrary to her beliefs. She is a chaplain. She is in with people who are sick and dying and people who are scared about surgery. She is dealing with people in mental crises. And they were willing to let her go because she was refusing to affirm if a man walks into a woman's restroom and she was not willing to say, no, this is fine for you. She wasn't willing to affirm that as part of her belief. So, so they asked a, a question. Do, do you know what the specific question was? Was it like, do you, um, I affirm that a men and uh, uh, pronouns, I'll use the pronouns or, or do you yes. have any examples of what the question was? It or? was, it was along that nature that I affirm, um, you know, to use the pronouns and she wasn't going to do it. It's, it's a, it's a lie for her. This woman is very convicted of Genesis one through 11. She understands the differences and I'm, I'm hearing this. actually. So, from so you have a Catholic church. I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding. Yeah. So you have a Catholic church, religious organization. They're Catholic. Catholic hospital. Catholic hospital that hires a chaplain who is, uh, by definition, supposed to be religious mm -hmm. um, to, you know, be with people who are sick or passing on uh, in their final moments to help console them, uh, possibly help lead people to Christ, so on and so forth. Um, and then they had them take uh, a DEI module to um, which required them not just to sit through a class and answer some questions or something, but the end of that was a requirement that you had to say things like, um, 
a man who identifies as a woman, uh, a, a, bi a person born a male that identifies as a woman, I shall call her or she. Correct. That seems pretty extreme, right? That seems a little great. One, it's weird that we're not weird, but it's crazy that we're in this position where you have a religious organization hiring a religious person and then shocked uh, when it comes to their religious beliefs, um, but asking for these affirmation statements. What what was the outcome here? What what did the hospital end up doing? It's actually a really good outcome. Um, she shared her post. And she has quite a large following on Facebook and many in the state picked it up and many were outraged uh, that that was happening to her. And I would suspect that there were quite a few phone calls to St. Elizabeth's or perhaps on their Twitter feed because people like yourself that have large audiences, uh, we saw that they, that- Saint Yeah, I, I, I shared one of the posts about it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you did in, in Savannah Maddox and some of the people with really large audiences were asking St. Elizabeth's, hey, is this true? And they shut down the public comments on the Twitter feed. So I think it must have been effective. And when this woman went in to meet with her supervisor, she didn't feel like it went well. Uh, initially, uh, there were three questions on there that really were stumbling blocks for her. They came to agreement on two of the three, but there was one. She's just like, I, I can't. I, I, this violates my religious conscience. It, this violates my religious beliefs. And their initial goal was like, well, let's say we affirm. She goes, no, no, because then we're still saying I. And at the well, end, and it's so weird. It's such a, it's just such a commitment, right? To be that committed, to be like, no, 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 no. We've got to have one or two of these questions. It's, it's just you feel like you're living in a crazy time. You feel like you're living amongst all these incredibly brainwashed people, where you're just like, how what connection where you're even admitting like, yeah, we'll change two or three of those. I, I see that they could be an issue, but we really need you to wear the ribbon. We really need you <laughs> to, to, to say this. And it's so strange the, the commitment there, because where is the public pressure? I mean, what pressure has St. East received publicly to make sure that all their staff are affirming that they are, uh, uh, that men can become women. I haven't seen a great public outlash and pressure about it. Have you? I have not just from this one chaplain, but at the end she was able to resolve it. They agreed that if but I'm saying pressure from the other side, yeah. I'm saying we give out the pressure when they do things like that, but where, you know, there's no pressure. I don't see people like, I don't see protests where they're like, you know, respect my pronouns, like outside of hospitals all that often. Maybe I just I'm in the wrong part of town, but I just I just don't see. Do you see those ever up there? No, no. OK, so I, I'm not. So this is it's so weird. They just had this innate desire and belief to do this. They're getting no public pressure to do it. And then because of things like certificate of need. They're in a position where they can kind of force this down on their employees because where are their employees going to go? I exactly. mean, she was the only chaplain that pushed back on it. Um, the rest went ahead and went with it because they needed their jobs. So she needs her job, too. But her convictions were stronger than her desire for a paycheck. And so in the end, I'm glad that it, it worked out for her. Uh, the compromise if somebody wants to be called Dove. She's she's perfectly willing to call them whatever they want to be called. But please don't at, just ask me to uh, call you uh, something that you're not because she will not participate in that lie. Well, and the pronoun game is kind of crazy anyways. But so what has been so so what uh, so you're pushing back on the certificate of need. Now, I've seen some things like where you're going to city council 
meetings or something. Can you, I, I, if I'm picking it up, you're getting city councils, which is great, by the way, that, that a legislator isn't just like, all I can do is propose bills and vote on them. And then I go home and that's all I do. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of an activist legislator in this way that you're actually getting out there and doing this. But so you're going to, what, what is it? You're going to city councils, you're going to fiscal county, fiscal courts. And, and what are you trying to get them to do? Well, I was. This actually started off organically. So when I filed my bill this last legislative session, uh, the city of Fort Wright in northern Kentucky, they uh, wrote a resolution asking to repeal CON because Fort Wright is benefiting from having uh, physician services in, in their city other than St. Elizabeth's. And they just would like to have more of that. They would like to have more services, more hospitals of that nature. So they they did that without my knowledge. I found out about it talked to the mayor and I thought, well, that's a great idea. So I did, I went to several other places. I went to Erlanger and they wrote a resolution to reform certificate of need. That was a packed out place, uh, a lot of representation from St. Elizabeth, certainly all the, the higher ups, the CEO and down were there, but the people were there. And uh, the real quick, were, real quick, yeah. since they were there and you're yeah. having this public meeting regarding this, what is the argument? So we know so on this side of things, right? Yeah. We know certificate need was originally put in place uh, because these rural areas, uh, they were, they were trying to push hospitals out to underserved rural areas and not just have them all built up in one area, right? Because the idea being is, you know, standard economics. Why do you always see restaurants right next to each other? And I, have you ever seen that like beach module where it's explained the economics of positioning of businesses? Have you ever heard of that? Uh -huh. Where it's like they, they keep moving their cart around to try to get more of the more of the beach or whatever and then they end up uh, uh kind of doing it that way so um but and so they always end up next to each other so they're saying these hospitals are ending up next to each other so we're instead going to try to push them out to an area the idea behind it uh was i guess an idea but as you stated you know within a decade or two they were realizing this idea was not great and started repealing it. In fact, Kentucky's one of the few states left that still have certificate of need, unless I'm mistaken. Now there's 36, but we just have uh, an extraordinary amount, a high amount of them. So oh, okay, my argument gotcha. has been um, Ohio has one restriction on certificate of need, and that's for long-term care facilities. The same with Indiana. They have one. So restriction. we just have a high amount of categories. 20. 20 categories. 20 and categories. Ohio has one. one category. Indiana has one. Tennessee has reduced their, so I think they're down to six. South to Carolina, six. this last legislative session, just repealed it for the entire state. West Virginia, this last legislative session, made some significant gains as well as reducing theirs. So we were surrounded by states that don't have very many restrictions, and yet we hold on to our 20. And that, I think it hurts Northern Kentucky more, which is why it's such a bigger issue. Right, because you have the, the city across the bridge. Well, and we're, we're a large population area. We're yeah. larger than y'all in Lexington, and yet we've got one system. Uh, Louisville has multiple, but they still tend to go across the river too. So that was the reasoning for going to the city council meetings is to help drive awareness, not only here uh, for people to know, but downstate. So they can well, also right, too, I mean, if problem. <laughs> Well, not only do you have, I mean, as you stated earlier, you've got 20% going across the river in Northern Kentucky. So not only are you losing 20%, that's 20% of people who've said, look, I'd rather get care in Ohio than Kentucky, the state I live, which that, that alone should say something. 
Um, on, on top of take take the whole, you know, states competing for tax revenue bases and everything else, take that all out of it. And just take into the very fact that 20% of people live in Northern Kentucky say, I'd rather go over into Ohio to get the care I need than here in Kentucky. That's that's a pretty high amount. That should be taken as a, almost an assault on the Kentucky system. That should be a, a, um, a mark against us, right? But on top of that, how can we move to where, oh, we can pull in people from other states, where we're pulling people across the river into northern Kentucky from Cincinnati or from Indiana into Louisville, but yet we have these 20 categories and it sounds like everybody else is one uh, category where they're really limiting it down um, around us. That that certainly puts us in a position where we can't pull in those dollars. We can't pull in those jobs. We can't bring in that tax base, that revenue um, as well. You know, it's certainly a big problem. So, so they put this, uh, what, what is their, I guess their arguments then. So St. East comes out to these places what is their argument for why Kentucky needs 19 more certificate of need categories than Ohio does? I mean, I know it's really about money to them, but they can't say that out loud. What is, what are they saying out loud? Uh, the standard argument that they say is that they do a lot of charity care, that if a, another hospital came in, that they wouldn't have the same commitment to the com community as they do they are concerned about what they call cherry picking. Where hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. So they are threatening to do less charity work if we allow another hospital to come into this area? Perhaps not so directly, but indirectly. Indirectly. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So they're saying that, look, if you don't allow us to have this monopoly on healthcare, then how can we afford to offer all the free healthcare charity work that we do in the area? Because now our prices have to go lower. Correct. So in a way, St. East is um, taxing <laughs> the residents of Northern Kentucky uh, in order to pay for the charitable healthcare that they decide they want to do. Well, every hospital has to do charity. Sure, care. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I understand that. You have to do charity. But what I'm saying is, is they're saying that we will have to do less, right? I mean, obviously, somebody comes into your hospital, you have to treat them, right? You, you don't have a choice there. And then we all as customers have to pay for that when people don't pay their, their bill. And that gets reflected in our prices. But my point being here is that they are they are essentially admitting that we charge higher prices because... We have a monopoly, but those higher prices allow us to do more free health care in the community. Well, free health care and other things, uh, they are a very large sponsor of our paper of record. So uh, it's, it's difficult to get a fair article out of there because when... They Wait, hold on. They're, so they're the large, they're a very large sponsor of your newspaper. Yes, of our paper of record. Huh. Huh. That's yes. interesting. Okay. So it's yeah. very, so it's hard to get a fair article. Oh, certainly. Certainly. So what, what is their other arguments? Cause I've heard some crazy ones from legislators that are doctors that I've challenged on these things. So I'm curious what they're saying up there. 
Uh, the same, the cherry picking if, if that some for profit will come in and they will do um, services that are more profitable and, and, you know, take those away from St. Elizabeth's is one of their big ones that they often say. Um, that's usually top ones. So we do so much in the community and the cherry picking and, you know, competition doesn't make it better. They've actually said that they sit up to their employees and say, you're going to lose your job if other hospitals come in, which on its face doesn't make sense. It's economics. One of their jobs just move over to the other hospitals. Perhaps where they would um, yeah. maybe get paid more when there's competition, wages always go up. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I think they're concerned about that. I mean, no, no doubt there is a healthcare shortage. Uh, COVID really uh, it took a lot of our nursing out. It's been very difficult to re replace. I am sympathetic to that, but I'm wondering how many barriers were put in place that made a lot of those nurses leave. Well, also too, wasn't there? There's giant layoffs at the beginning, right? So of of COVID, there's there's big layoffs of healthcare workers. Correct me if I'm wrong. At the beginning of COVID, because they they all extra services they like cut off because they're worried about being overrun and that ended up with months on end of wings of hospitals being closed or or seeing less quote-unquote people and so they had to lay off nurses and doctors and and some other things I, I, am i mistaken there i believe that's i would I know the inner workings i mean i know certainly elective surgery surgeries were delayed and, and perhaps the nursing staff and that but the the floor nurses the ones that are working those long hours that were, they were our front lines people. I think those hours were difficult. They worked during the pandemic when they didn't right. know what their risks were. And then, uh, you know, being forced to take a vax that perhaps they weren't comfortable with, or if he didn't, that the constant testing, I think some people are just kind of throwing the towel. <laughs> well, and I'm sure too, as well, it kind of, you know, when you, when you, I've always talked about this when it comes to labor shortages, right? I, I've always looked at our labor system, much like a business is a supply line and people leave, people come in. And when COVID occurred, I think there's a lot of people who, and I think this is why it'll take us between five to 10 years to get uh, back in line where we should be with staffing and, and, and kind of labor shortages, because there's about five to people who say, oh, I was going to retire within the next five years. Or uh, I wasn't thinking about retiring right offhand. I'm, I'm getting up there, but I wasn't really thinking about retiring. COVID happens. And then they say, well, I guess I'll retire now. It seems like a good a time as any or, or companies were offering packages to push people into early retirement because they're going to have to lay off anyways. And so they said, hey, we'd rather just push you into early retirement if we can. And so that top end of staff kind of fell off. But of course, happening all at once, there wasn't people coming up to fill in those positions, if that makes sense, kind of where, where that supply line got thrown off. And on top of that too, talking about, uh, you know, things like there's a friend of mine, um, she's a nurse and there was a requirement to take, you know, the shot in order to continue to be in, in, in school. And there was a lot of people who just left the school. Um, you know, especially young ladies, they're worried, right, wrong or indifferent worried about things like uh, child rearing, uh, being able to to uh, uh, have children into the future because that was of concern. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent, they were concerned about it. I don't want to debate about whether or not it was true. Uh, we all have our opinions, but and Facebook doesn't like them. But, <laughs> uh, um, you know, so I, I, think, I think that definitely threw off that staffing too as well. But certainly having competition would bring in people. 
you would say of course so, it right? would uh, yeah uh, who is to say that if you you know bill that they won't come for example there are physicians right now in fort Wright that they they can do certain services right certain like primary care services but if you require any other procedures guess where you got to go you got to cross the river to go to their hospital system or to their ambulatory surgical centers so I, I do believe that if they're already here, the physicians are established here, they would like to be able to have admitting privileges. They would like to be able to uh, do, you know, do their surgeries or things here on this side of the river. And so, so Saini says, look, if we did this, we can't do as much charity care or things like that. An obvious argument back would be just simply to them, like, well, just look at Lexington. They have several hospitals, uh, one of which is a Catholic hospital. We have St. St. Joe. I think St. Joe's a Catholic hospital. I'm going to assume so based upon its name. Uh, but we also have Baptist Health, which is obviously a, a religious organization too as well. And then, of course, we have UK. Um, so we've got three hospital systems here. What do they say? They look at that and say, well, you know, I mean, what's the argument back to that? Nothing that's been logical to me. And that's exactly what I use. Why does it work in Louisville and Lexington? But where I get more pushback is from, well, what happens to rural? Well, we've got 50 years of data now that says, actually, we have lost more beds in rural than we do in our suburban areas. And if you look at just what's happened uh, in recent history up here in northern Kentucky, there was a hospital in Owen County. St. Elizabeth's bought it and they closed it. So those people now don't have the emergency services. Where do they go? And I asked this very question, the CEO, and he's like, anybody could have bought that hospital. Um, but it's just an example of where they did buy it. A not-for-profit didn't come in. It wasn't that somebody else came in and snatched it up. It's they bought it and closed it. So as you're, so, so you're going out here to these city council, do you go to fiscal courts too as well to talk about the issue? I, or? I did. And part of that was really just to heighten the uh, tension people are doing the resolutions now independently. Um, what I'm focusing now is on the certificate of need task force, which has been established. You know, we had our first meeting last month. Our next one is Monday. Um, that's where I'm putting a lot of my efforts as I'm continuing to do grassroots education here. Most people know what it is. I'm surprised yeah. how many people know what it is. This came from the people. This didn't come from me. This wasn't some personal vendetta I have with St. Elizabeth's. It's not at all. It's policy. Have they, uh, do they like you? Not so much. No? Not so what, much. What do they, you worried about getting knocked off, huh? You worried about uh, St. E's taking you out? Um, you know, that, that, that might be a strong charge. Do, I, I think it's more where they're going to come after me politically. Right, yeah, right, right. right. So they of have course. unlimited resources and attorneys. Um, they have a lot of resources. When you look at their 90s, they really, they're doing really quite well. Um, do I think they're going to harm me? No. I think, do they, are they going to try to politically destroy me? Certainly. Do you think, uh, you, you think you'll have a primary competition here coming up? Absolutely. And you think they'll be probably the number one person funding it, right? I would not be surprised that the hospital association, perhaps the chamber. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Why, why is the chamber like certificate of need? When it, when it that, uh, what do you think it'd be better for business? Well, of course, you know, we call it the, the, chamber of uh uh socialism but you know <laughs> they they really like their corporatism they really like uh a government doing carve outs for corporations but wouldn't they want to see uh more hospitals have more opportunities 
You would Kentucky. think so. Um, but, you know, I'm not a friend of the chamber. I'm very proud that I got a D minus rating from the chamber after last legislative session. Uh, my voting record, you know, I am. What, uh, what what votes did they not like that they gave you a D minus for? I'd have to look at all the things they did. I, um, I, I don't really remember what they were. The only thing that I voted for that they liked was House Bill 1, which gave us the reduction in our personal income tax in, in Kentucky. And what do you remember any of the bills that they said they really cared about? And, and they, for some reason, because I, I look at some of the bills they really care about because I've ran into them on the activism side. Um, they don't like me over, uh, they wanted to require every student to fill out the FAFSA form yes. in order to graduate high school. That was very important to them. And, you know, I was like, look, this is, first off, this is a, a, a violation of the constitution. You're forcing parents to turn over information that otherwise would be protected by warrants to the federal government. Like that's, that's clearly a violation. Um, but outside of that too, even outside the constitutional aspect, you know, it's maybe it's not the best thing. Here's always been my argument too. And I can say this now that I'm not running for office and you don't have to agree with me. Um, perhaps, perhaps if you go and you Google and their argument was, well, people don't know how to pay for college and uh, this is just helping people out. Now, let's say you don't know how to pay for college and, and, and you need the money. If you go Google how to pay for college, the first like 20 results are about FAFSA and how to fill that out. I would pause it. You, you don't have to agree with me. You can just stand there stoically. But <laughs> I would pause it. If you can't Google how to pay for college, and then figure out the FAFSA exists and fills it out. Maybe, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be going to college. Now that's just, maybe it's not the best choice for you. Um, maybe that's not your path. Um, maybe you're not ready for that level of learning, but that's just something I posit. You don't have to agree or disagree, but I don't think, I think getting a bunch of forcing them to fill out a FAFSA lures a bunch of people into going to college that otherwise wouldn't because you got a FOMO thing. Like, oh, I get a free eight grand for going to college. Well, you know, eight grand a year is eight grand a year I get for free. I better go find out if if I college, if I go to college and then, you know, maybe that college, maybe it's cheaper. Maybe it's only 12 grand a year. And they're like, well, that's only four grand a year. I can get a loan for that. And they go and they get a loan for eight grand or, or well, four grand a year. They end up with a loan for eight grand, 12 grand in student loan debt that they didn't get a degree for because they didn't finish because they didn't know how to pay for their college initially to begin with. <laughs> yeah, so I, I agree with you on that. And I, I agree with you on those issues, but also the data mining. That's a lot of information. And there's a lot of kids that perhaps they don't need to go to college. They can be entrepreneurs or there's people that maybe want to go military. So I, I'm against the data mining. I think it's a little bit intrusive. Yeah. Is there, is there any other uh, things the chamber really pushes forward that you get real confused about or you don't quite understand how they think it's their purview? Well, some things, um, you know, they were pretty strong on, I um, uh, can't remember, Senate Bill, House Bill 5. It was about uh, the bourbon barrel tax. Now, I agree. I don't like a tax on something in production. However, when you have entered into IRBs, and you have made an agreement with these counties and they have structured their system based on these agreements. And then after a few For years- For everybody, we should pause real quick and explain this, right? I know what you're talking about, but we should pause real quick and explain that um, there was a tax counties could charge 
uh, per barrel of bourbon that was aging in their counties. Correct. And, um, you know, you take counties like, uh, what, what Bards, Nelson County. Nelson. Nelson's a big one. So they've got a lot of barrels there that were aging and they entered into tax reduction agreements with these distillers to say, come here and we won't charge you occupational tax or we won't charge you property, property tax, tax um, on this area. On We won't charge you a property tax for this amount of time. But instead they had this barrel tax that would make up the difference. And this was what helped fund their schools and things like that. Well, this last session, um, the, the legislature came through and they removed that tax per barrel ability from the county. Um, but these counties have made these deals based upon the, the idea that that would come in. And so now they're not paying that property tax, but also now they're not paying the barrel tax that the counties even made the deal first to get into. So we want to make sure we explain that. But anyway, you're saying that you're really confused or you're kind of, you, you understand the plight of, of not being in production, but. I do. But the economic impact, Nelson County in particular, was going to lose $6.5 million. So that was really going to, it was going to close fire departments, schools, libraries, loose sheriffs, jailers. So for me, that was an issue. So that's why I was very conflicted for those people. Do I agree with the tax? No, I, I don't. But this was what, what had already been established. So I just felt like it was a deal that they had reneged on that left Nelson County kind of high and dry. Right. Right. So Tampa wanted that one. Right. And, and of course they wanted it for their bourbon people because, well, and you sit there and, and, and people wonder how these things operate. Look, um, you know, the chamber's able to turn around and say that's 6.5 million. So if they're able to say, look, we saved you 6.5 million, the bourbon companies, you know, okay, here, here's $4 million a year. We'll give you 3 million a year. Cause you saved us 6.5. So we'll give you 3 million a year, uh, in donations to the chamber, which then they can take that money and turn around and get more of their legislators that they want elected. And that of course gives them more power. Uh, as far as it goes, it's a, it's a kind of a power play. Any other bills that they really push on that? I think they were behind the gambling, exp expanded gambling as well. Well, let's be precise. Expanded gambling only for Churchill Downs? They're specific chosen people, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. <laughs> Let's be clear here, right? They don't want you and I to be able to open up a gambling place. Correct. They want to continue, which is which is so hard, right? That's such a hard needle to thread. Well, I guess for somebody like me, because I'm, I'm, I'm against the idea of gambling, generally speaking. And mainly it's because um, we have, we provide so much financial assistance to people. And it's, it's so, you know, the argument would be, well, it's a free will. They can choose to do what they want with their money. And you're right. You should be able to do that on the other side, but it's not really your money because if you are somebody who falls below a certain line, you're receiving thousands of dollars a year out of my pocket and tax and, and, you know, and, and assistance and, and those types of things. And now you can choose to go gamble that away. And that's, that's an issue I have. Um, but putting that to the side. So if there was no welfare assistance at all, I would have no logical argument against gambling. Now that being stated, the problem we have now is it's not that Kentucky doesn't have gambling. It's that Kentucky has a monopoly on gambling that's government enforced. Correct. And so, and so now that becomes a real issue because you're like, I'm generally not you, but I'm, I'm generally against gambling. But at the same time, 
I really am a lot more against government protected monopolies. <laughs> That's what it came down to for me as well. I'm a Liberty girl. I could care less what you do in your free time. Um, if you want to gamble, go blow your brains out. Go ahead. Um, but it's not for me. But I don't think I think it's my job as a legislator to tell people what they can do with their money. That's not my job. But why I voted against it was because of the very monopoly it created. We just handed the HHR a really nice monopoly at the same time, banning gray machines from our mom and pop and that, that were shut down. Do you know how much money some of those were generating? Like a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine, he owns like several gas stations. Mm -hmm. It was something like he was like, Yeah, I'm I'm pulling in like six grand a month per store off these gray machines. Well, my mom and pops weren't getting that much. They were getting <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. But they were getting like maybe eighteen hundred dollars, just enough to keep the light bills on. Sure. You know, um, it, it's it's mainly in my area, it's in restaurants. And I didn't even really know what they were. I've never paid attention to them. I've never seen anybody playing them, but obviously it became aware. But for me, it was how do we shut these down and kill our small businesses that needed these that you've already crushed during COVID and yet hand HHR monopoly? I couldn't swear that. Well, and it's and 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 that is certainly an issue. And and gray machines, they tried to do what HHR did. They just weren't successful because HHR knew what they were doing wasn't completely legal put it in place anyways, got the, but see the, the mistake gray machines had the HHR had. So for those of us, those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the slot machine like machines that are at red mile and, and, and Churchill downs and Turflin up there, right. Has, mm -hmm. uh, has yes. them, um, you know, and they're, they're, they're slot machines. That's what they are. That's what they look like. But yeah. there's like some sort of mechanism and how they, decide whether you win or lose that makes it where it's it's paramutual gambling so there's already a special taxing program in place for paramutual gambling and what these horse tracks did is they put in place these machines that operated on some algorithm similar to paramutual gambling and they called it historical horse racing i could be way wrong but as i understand it, it was something like um and you may know it was something like you randomly picked a horse from a historical race and then whether or not that horse won or lost like and or what they placed as like determines your payout so when you pulled this the way the machine i could be way wrong but if i understand it properly the way the machine operated is is it would when you pulled the slot it was randomly picking a horse and then whether or not that horse won or lost or something that's why it was historical a historical horse race you're gambling on i don't know anyways Point is, they put in place these slot machines, but because they already had a taxing scheme for horse racing, they immediately were paying out more tax dollars to the state using that same process. And so the state was making millions of dollars off these machines. And so when it came time, but they got sued and the state Supreme Court is like, yeah, this is clear. This is come on. <laughs> like this is slot machines like that's clearly what this is yeah. come on but it was several years they'd already had these in place and basically it was lose the jobs lose the revenue lose the revenue into the the state coffers the revenue into the state lose the jobs all these other things powerful lobbying group the horse tracks are too as well very powerful 
um, especially when they own the uh, Senate uh, majority leader. Anyway, so (laughs) you don't got to talk about that. I can talk about that all day long. Um, (laughs) Anyways, um, but so they already had that. So it was either approve it or lose it. But the gray machines, they didn't have that. Uh, They're actually lobbying, right, to be able to charge, to have a taxing scheme. Uh, it did. So that that bill that caused a lot of problems in, in Frankfurt. Um, there was only a bill that was accepted by leadership and brought to the floor was to ban the gray machines. Uh, Representative Down brought up a, a bill that would have given us an option to uh, tax and regulate them similarly to they do other machines and uh, to table the the binary choice of you ban gray machines or you don't. And that became quite controversial. Uh, the bill that got tabled that that called for the ban was uh, called back and uh, it ultimately passed. And so now our mom and pops lost the gray machines, which are skill machines. They're kind of like computer games. So I, it just to me was. Um, uh, have you ever played one? I have not. I'm not a gambler. Not? I played I played one or two. Right. Just to kind of like understand what they were. Yeah, there's 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 there. Come on. <laughs> there's no skill involved. So. It is, it is, it's so weird. So you can see the next puzzle. So before you gamble, you can see the next puzzle and it's like a tic-tac-toe board, right? Yeah. With three across, three this, three diagonal. And all you got to do is pick three in a row. So you can see the puzzle for as long as you want. Mm-hmm. It's a tic-tac-toe board. You have to pick three in a row and you can see the next game before you put the money in. And so what you're really paying for is to see the game after that one. So oh, even wow. if you have a loser and you know yeah. it's a loser, you'll pay the one or two pennies or whatever so you can see the next board because that one might be the winner. So it's, it, you know, they can get cute with it and call it a skilled machine, but there ain't no skill involved. My, my, my 10-year-old could easily walk away winning every single one of those. <laughs> 10-year-old's not allowed to play. No, a- he is not allowed to play. Well, th- nobody's allowed to play, right? Correct. But they're suing in court over it, right? Yeah. And I think that comes up in August. Last I I followed up because I'm getting calls from my mom and pop like, hey, they came and turned our machines around or what's happening with it. So it's it's tied up in court and I haven't heard anything. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't think, um, I I don't, I don't foresee a bill making it to the floor to turn those back on. They will have to do it through the courts. How'd you vote on the uh, sports betting? I voted against it. Yeah. And it, because I it was a like monopoly too, wasn't it? It's monopoly. And this yeah. is what, whenever there's a monopoly, you can bet I am going to vote against that. Um, you know, they made some strong arguments. Some people really wanted it. Uh, but when you saw the details of that bill, and I went through that bill many times, and I asked a lot of questions and went to the sponsors. And um, I always do a lot of digging, a lot of research. And the fact that it gave all the licensing to the, the tracks, right, that was problematic for me. So you're taking on certificate of need. Yes. You are saying East hates you. Yes. Okay. Might kill you. No, I'm just kidding. You didn't say that. I'm saying that. I'm saying if Representative Proctor goes down, fingers need to be pointed at St. East. Okay. If they Clinton you, I'll be the first one to call it out. Right. I, I'll just, be like, I will just say I am not suicidal. <laughs> uh, my vehicles are in good working order. Yeah. <laughs> you check them constantly, right? Um, maybe. Yeah, yeah. They'll give you the old Youngstown tune-up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, 
any other things you you really are gonna be approaching this session? I know sessions obviously it's hard to focus on more than one or two things as a legislator, but is there anything else that's really top of mind for you? Certainly school choice. I'm gonna continue to work on that and work on the things that are going on in the schools. I mean, you see, we, we passed a good bill, Senate Bill um, 150, and what the schools are doing just to out and out violate it and mm-hmm. to ignore the law. I think there's things that we need to do to put teeth into the laws. So I'm working a lot with, I'm very involved with um, a lot of people that, the, the moms Which is, the schools people. Wait, uh, and it's crazy. They put out that Senate Bill 150 thing saying, yeah, here's a little loophole for you to ignore it. Like they're literally like, celebrating or not celebrating, but they like, they're like, yeah, you can teach K through fifth grade about, you know, transgenderism and homosexuality. And then they turn around on the same hand and say, you all are worried about nothing. Nobody's teaching your kids. We're not coming for your kids. We're not trying to indoctrinate them while they're issuing guidance saying, feel free to indoctrinate. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something I'm going to work on continued school choice, but as you know, that's going to be a constitutional amendment that would have to pass. But in the interim, just to make our schools the best they can be, a majority of people are going to choose public schools. So why don't we make them the best that they can be? I would love to see more core uh, subjects in there. I would love to see civics. I would love to see how do you manage your own checkbook? How do you do money management? How do you do investing? Things like that versus spending so much time on this SEL. Uh, I would like to see that removed. I think that's a parent's job. That is not the teacher's job. It's a lot of pressure on them. Let's get back to the academics. Did you see uh, Jefferson County Public Schools gave like a 27% pay raise their superintendent? I and he sure now makes like 350 k a year. I sure did. I, I'm glad to see many of the representatives from Louisville that at least put out a statement about it. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, that's high. That's, that's, uh, that's a lot of money you just gave there. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But our school boards are allowed to raise their rates. Our school board just gave themselves a 4% raise uh, to collect more money. We're already paying a lot. I'm not sure what I'm seeing the return because if you look at our educational scores, I don't think those are something that we should be particularly proud of. Didn't Boone County, was it Boone County that got a charter school two years no, ago? No. Uh, it was, was, I thought it was a, is there There's a county a- up in... It was going to be up at NKU, I believe, is where it was going to be. And then with all that went on with the president and all that, it just didn't go. And I've heard from people at NKU, and they said nobody really wants to fund or or do something that's a pilot, right? They they want to know something that's established. So that one's, I'm not really sure where that's going. Mm, mm, Unfortunate, unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Well, anything else? Any issues? No, those are big ones. Uh, You know, things that people bring to me, and I had spoken to you about these insurance premiums, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it, so that's been really interesting to see that how much money comes in. I'm seeing a lot of that goes to the fire departments. So um, but I'm still going to follow up on that Kentucky surplus. Let's, let's yeah. follow the money and see where that, yeah. that tax is going. Yeah, it's on my list of things to cover. One of these times I got to sit down and really dig into some of these, uh, where our money's going, how our money works. I might just do an overall report because, you know, I did that wasteful spending report that really only covered like 10, 15 items. And, um, you know, and that was while I was running for state treasurer, but I'd love to do that. I would love to do it. I I will do it again um, here soon, probably, you know, towards the end of this year 
and really kind of dig in on some of those things and also dig in on, as we were talking about, for those of you unaware, we were on the phone the other, well, of course they were unaware. They weren't listening to us, but we, me and uh, the the representative and I, my wife would kill me if I said me and the representative, uh, (laughs) the representative and I were on the phone um, talking about the insurance premium tax. Was it 1.8%, right? It is. Goes to the state and we're discussing about what the likelihood is of that getting repealed. And we discovered it is a gigantic (laughs) revenue stream. Uh, It it appears to be more than even alcohol tax uh, into the state, this insurance premium taxes. And that's pretty crazy um, as far as that goes. Well, where can people follow you? Where can they follow you on Facebook, Twitter? Where can they follow you? I I am not a Twitter person. You got to get on Twitter. (sighs) Ever since Elon took over, it's just the the reach and every, so I have ten percent. So I have over five thousand followers on Facebook. I've like under five hundred followers on Twitter right now. Right. I will post the same exact things, the same exact things, and I will get massively larger reach, likes, retweets, everything else on Twitter than I do on Facebook. I've been hesitant to dive into the cesspool. I am not, uh, I'm not really a social media girl. I know some people, that's how they just, you know, their Facebook and Instagram and all of that. I just don't really find it to be hugely helpful. Um, I am on Facebook and I don't use my, I'm not using my political page so much because I don't have any followers with them, honestly. So I use my personal, the Marianne Grimm's Proctor on Facebook. I don't post a ton. Uh, honestly, I, I just really don't. That's not where I live. I live out in my community. I am out with people all the time. And if people have questions for you as a legislator, what's your legislative email? It, Marianne, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E dot proctor at L-R-C-K-Y dot gov. Is it L-R-C dot K-Y? dot gov. Yeah, that one's hard, huh? Or you can just go to her legislator profile on LRC's website and you can email her there. Well, thank you representative for joining uh, me today, taking time out to inform us on how your fight's going on uh, with everybody. And, and I just, I want to reiterate to everybody. She seems in good health. Uh, She says she's not suicidal and her cars are in good working order. So, um, you know, just keep that in mind. Uh, Look, I'm not saying, you know, when millions of dollars are on the line, you never know what's going to happen. So um, without all further ado, thank you so much uh, for joining us. And guys, that's what we have time for today. Thank you all so much. And please, once again, please like, comment, share, subscribe, all that great stuff. Thank you all so, so much. And have a good rest of your day.